I think I can speak on behalf of Mark and Nancy and Kenny and Zach as well. Kenny having worked here for such a large portion of the year. Um, <clears throat> we are all very grateful uh, for your generosity and your kindness. Um, as we've mentioned before, uh, there are people who are doing far more challenging ministry uh, than we are um, in places that are far more difficult and even far more dangerous to do ministry. Um, and yet you were incredibly generous to us. Uh, so, so thank you so much for, for those gifts. Now, speaking of gifts, uh, this morning we continue in our sermon series this Christmas, our 2016 holiday gift guide. And the whole idea behind that is that we're suggesting gift ideas that you can give other people this Christmas. Now, the catch, of course, with these gift ideas is that they're all gifts which God has already given you that you can share with others. Now, last week we talked about the gift of forgiveness. And what we got at is that as disciples of Jesus, people whom Paul describes as raised with Christ, In Colossians chapter 3, forgiveness is simply part of our DNA. We know that God has forgiven our insurmountable debt of sin through what Jesus did on the cross. And because God has forgiven us so much, we forgive others. And while forgiveness may still be challenging, even after we become disciples, the truth remains that we're simply in no position to withhold forgiveness from others after all that God has forgiven us. Now, today we look at a third gift to share with the world this Christmas, and that is the gift of compassion. Now, our discussion this morning on compassion will have some things in common with the first gift we talked about two Sundays ago, and that's the gift of value. In that sermon, we talked about how Jesus repeatedly went out of his way to touch the untouchable. Heal Gentiles and enemies and share meals with even the worst of sinners. Because to Jesus, all of those people are valuable. They're valuable not only to Jesus, but they're valuable to God the Father, created in God the Father's image. And thus, they're to be valuable to us as well. But while this sermon may have some things in common with that sermon on value, allow me to suggest that compassion is perhaps a step further than simply showing someone value. I mean, after all, it's one thing to acknowledge and respect the dignity of human beings created in God's image at some basic level. That's one thing. But it's another thing to really, truly have compassion for someone the way Jesus does. Speaking of Jesus, open your Bibles to Matthew 9, verse 35. Feel free to use the Bibles that we provide if you didn't bring one. And if you don't own a Bible, take one home with you when you leave today. But before we do any reading in Matthew 9, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege that we have of gathering together And reading your word, that we can do that in freedom, that we can do that in safety. Father, we pray for those who are traveling, uh, many people traveling, of course, this weekend before Christmas. Uh, We pray you keep them safe, especially with the weather events of the past two days or so. I pray that you would get them where they need to go safely, bring them home safely, and bring them back here safely uh, when that time comes. Father, thank you for the compassion that you show us, the value that you've given us, the forgiveness that you've 
given us through Christ. I pray that we would share those gifts with people around us this year, that we wouldn't just hold those gifts to ourselves, that we would be incredibly generous with the gifts you've given us. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his birth that we celebrate at Christmas, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And Father, we look forward to his return. We live in a world that is dark, that is scary, that is frustrating. We hear about atrocities overseas, like in Aleppo, Syria. And we look at the newspapers and and we're just so frustrated and even so hopeless sometimes and just tempted to throw up our hands and, and give up. But Father, I pray that we would look forward to your son's return. And in the meantime, we pray for those people who are suffering. We pray for this world that so desperately needs your kingdom to come. I pray that you'd give us patience and give us faithfulness as we wait. And again, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would help us to hear what it is you have to say to us, whatever that might be. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We briefly mentioned this passage in that sermon on value two weeks ago. But in that sermon, we focused more on the second half of what we just read, which is Jesus sending his disciples out as preachers, healers, and missionaries. Sending them out as laborers into the harvest. But today, let's focus more on the first half of the passage, and even more specifically, Jesus' reaction to the crowd of Israelites who gathered to him. Matthew tells us that Jesus has compassion on them. Why? When Jesus looks at these people, he doesn't just see a nameless, faceless crowd. He sees these people as sheep without a shepherd. He sees them as harassed and helpless, oppressed, exhausted, lacking direction. Now, why are they so down? What's wrong with them? Well, it's because their leaders have repeatedly failed them. More than once in the Gospels, Jesus criticizes Israel's religious leaders. He regularly accuses them of failing the sheep that God entrusted to them, failing God's people. Most of the religious leaders haven't loved God's people, haven't served God's people, and haven't taught God's people well. Jesus sees them as bad shepherds. But Jesus is the polar opposite. He is the good shepherd, the best shepherd, who would soon lay down his own life for his sheep on the cross. Jesus is a compassionate shepherd. The same way God the Father is portrayed in Psalm 23. God is portrayed as leading, comforting, providing for, protecting, restoring, and healing his flock. That's the kind of shepherd that Jesus is, a compassionate shepherd. But before we go further, that word in verses 35 through 38, compassion, 
That word is pretty significant. The word there is very unique. It's a word that we really don't have a sufficient translation for in English. In the original language, that word for compassion could have been read very literally as guts or even bowels, as gross as that sounds. But the whole idea is that Jesus was internally moved at the hardship of these people. That's compassion. That's why some people will translate the word for compassion used here as tender affections. Or they'll say something like Jesus's heart went out to them. You see, to show compassion for someone is a lot more than just to feel sorry for them. To show compassion is to see someone's plight and have your guts wrenched by their pain. So much so that you simply must do something about it. Now, there are a few more stories in Jesus's ministry where we see the same word used or the same idea taught. For example, look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 32. We read there Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion. There it is on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. So in another story, Jesus has compassion for a crowd again. And this crowd came to hear him teach for days on end. But now they had to walk home hungry. And for Jesus, the thought of these people coming from miles around to hear him teach, only to faint of hunger on the way home, that thought absolutely wrenches Jesus's guts. So he does something about it. He miraculously provides food for this massive crowd of people. Now, on a quick side note, if you want to see the exact opposite of compassion in a very similar situation, look at James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. We read there, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So unlike this hypothetical and hypocritical person, Jesus is moved by the thought of people being hungry. But this hypocritical Christian, per se, in James chapter 2, they're not moved at all at the thought of a brother or sister going naked or hungry. Now, sure, they might say something that sounds pious. They might say something that sounds caring. Go in peace. Be warmed and filled. Good luck. I hope you get things figured out somehow. That's not compassion. True compassion seeks a way to meet the need, just like Jesus does for the hungry people in Matthew 15. Jesus does not look at this crowd and say, well, go in peace, be warmed and filled. I hope you make it all the way home. That's not what Jesus does, because that's not compassion. And according to James, James chapter 2, that cold, hard and unmoved heart 
within the person who neglects the poor brother or sister. It's not just a lack of compassion. James says it even exposes a lack of real faith. So, another story to consider. Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 29. We read there. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed Jesus. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, that word pity is actually the word for compassion. You can translate it either way. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So Jesus, unlike the crowd, has compassion for two blind men who call out his name. The crowd didn't have compassion for these two blind men. They were simply a nuisance. The crowd told them to shut up. But Jesus is moved by their hardship. He's moved by their persistence. Thus, Jesus does something about their pain. He heals them of their blindness. And one more story to look at. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 12. We read there. As Jesus drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. So Jesus sees a harassed and helpless woman, not just any woman, but a widow who just lost her son. And with no husband and no son in that culture, this older woman is all on her own. And because of that, she may have to resort to less than righteous means to avoid ending up naked and hungry. As you can see, she has more than one reason to mourn. But when Jesus looks at her, he has compassion for her pain and her fear. And so he does something about it. He raises her son from the dead and restores her hope. Throughout his ministry, over and over and over, Jesus encounters people who are oppressed, exhausted, and lacking direction. People who are hopeless. And time and time again, his guts are wrenched by their hardship to the point where he simply must do something for them. But it's not just hurting people who Jesus has compassion for. Jesus even has compassion for sinful people. If you think back to last week's parable, Matthew chapter 18, the parable where the king forgave the absolutely outrageous amount of debt that one of his servants owed him. Well, ironically, the word for compassion occurs in that passage, Matthew 18, 27, again translated as pity. In that passage, the king's heart goes out to the servant who owes him 10,000 talents. He is internally moved by his servant's plight. 
Thus, he does something about it. He forgives the debt and forgives the servant. Jesus doesn't just have compassion for hurting people or hungry people or people who lack clothes. Jesus even has compassion for sinful people. The kind of people who owe God an insurmountable debt of sin to the point that Jesus is even willing to give up his life in order that they might be forgiven by God. Jesus has compassion for sinners like you and for sinners like me. Now, hopefully by now you've noticed the pattern in these stories. Christ-like compassion is when you see a need, be it hunger, disability, grief, a need for forgiveness, and you are moved down to your very guts by that need. Thus, you address the need as best as possible within your power. But the opposite of Christ-like compassion, like we saw in James chapter 2, it's when you intentionally avoid the needs of others. That way you can claim ignorance of them. You can say, you know what, I didn't even know about that person's need. And of course, if you don't know about that person's need, well, then you can't be held responsible to address it. Or perhaps even worse, you do see the need. You can't ignore it. You can't avoid it. It's right there in front of your eyes. And yet, even then, we're unmoved. We straight up just don't care enough to address it. Folks, that is not who we are. As people Paul identifies as raised with Christ. In the same way that forgiveness is simply a part of our DNA now. So is compassion. Look at Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. We're not going to read the whole passage, but your Bible may have it labeled something like mine, which is marks of the true Christian. Something to that effect. In this passage, Paul gives a laundry list of identifying characteristics of what a Christian looks like. And while the specific word for compassion isn't used in Romans chapter 12, the concept is certainly there. We see it in phrases like, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Compassion is a necessary part of genuine love. John gets at the idea in 1 John 3, starting in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We see compassion there. Paul tells the Christians there to contribute to the needs of the saints. Again, part of what makes compassion compassion is refusing to let an obvious need go unmet if it's within our power to meet it. Paul says Christians are those who weep with those who weep. If you had encountered that woman in Luke chapter 7, the woman who was a widow and who had just lost her son, I'd venture to say that none of us would have been able to raise him from the dead the way Jesus did. But we could still show compassion for her. Because we can still weep with those who weep. Paul says Christians associate with the lowly. Back in Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through 38. Jesus saw that lowly crowd. 
harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. And his heart went out to them. But then things get really crazy in Romans chapter 12 when Paul says things like this. They're near the end. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. He then says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. The Christian of James chapter 2 wasn't even willing to feed a brother or a sister. But Paul says that the mark of a true Christian is that we're willing to show compassion, not just to our brother and our sister, but even to our persecutors and even to our enemies. Now, if you're looking at Romans 12, there's a part at the end about heaping burning coals on your enemy's head by showing them compassion. The idea there is that your compassion, your genuine love, may even help someone see their own sin and may even draw them to repentance. They might be moved by the way that you're moved for them. Speaking of marks of the true Christian, one of the marks of the earliest Christians was their compassion. Around 150 A.D., just roughly 100 years after the apostles walked and talked and wrote, a Christian teacher by the name of Clement from Alexandria wrote this of a person who converts to Christianity. Clement says, The Christian impoverishes himself out of love so that he is certain he may never overlook a brother in need, especially if he knows he can bear poverty better than his brother. He likewise considers the pain of another as his own pain. And if he suffers any hardship because of having given out of his own poverty, he does not complain. That's compassion. The earliest Christians were known for rummaging through dumps outside of cities, looking for newborn babies left by parents who didn't want them. That's compassion. Historian Rodney Stark writes that around 250 A.D., a massive plague of smallpox occurred in the Mediterranean world. It's known as the Plague of Cyprian. And some people estimate that up to 5,000 people were dying of that plague per day. And that's just in the city of Rome. 5,000 people per day from one city dying. And when everyone else was fleeing those cities... It was often the Christians who were willing to stay behind and care for the dying at the risk of their own infection. That's compassion. We saw a contemporary example of that just within the last couple of years with the Ebola outbreak overseas. A massive number of the people going overseas and serving and caring for the dying or the hurting. A massive number of those people were Christians putting their own health at risk for the sake of those who need help. That's compassion. Now, you hear these examples, and as you might imagine, or you may even know from experience, compassion is hard. Having compassion for someone is an emotional investment on your part. It's an emotional investment when you let someone else's pain become your pain. Their sorrow becomes your sorrow. 
But showing compassion is costly in other ways, too, not just emotionally. Meeting someone's need often requires time or money or effort that you could invest somewhere else. And right now, you may have a life that is relatively good, relatively comfortable, relatively carefree. But when you show compassion for others, you are voluntarily giving some of that up. You are voluntarily losing some of that. Because compassion is entering into someone else's pain and hardship and need and making it our own. It's inviting somebody else's pain to come into our lives. Even though without them, our lives could be pretty pain-free. Now you have to ask, what would possess someone to do that? What would possess someone to give up their carefree life just to help other people? Who would be crazy enough to show a kind of compassion like that? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 17. The author writes, Therefore Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. A few verses later, chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our compassion. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So who would be crazy enough to voluntarily enter into other people's pain and hardship and suffering? Well, it's the Lord that we suffer, that we celebrate at Christmas. The one who entered into our pain. The one who entered into our ugliness and our need, our world of sin. On the cross, Jesus takes our pain, takes our sorrow, and even takes our sin upon himself. You know, before the incarnation, Jesus was in the presence of God the Father, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He was worshipped constantly, dwelling in the glory of heaven. And yet Jesus gives that up for sinners like us. As the author of Hebrews says, Jesus was like us in every respect in putting on flesh. Because Jesus was fully human, he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be tempted. And yet because he was fully God, he's without sin. He's perfect. And because Jesus shows sinners like us compassion, even at the cost of his own life, we can draw near to God's throne with confidence. God saw our need for a savior. And God did something about it by sending his son to the cross. So this Christmas, my challenge to you, challenge to myself, is to share the gift of compassion with others. Because after all, Jesus completed the ultimate act of compassion 
for us on the cross. Now, you may not be able to instantly fix everything the way Jesus did for the people that he encountered. People who were harassed and helpless, people who were hungry, people who were grieving, people who were sinful. You might not be able to raise people from the dead. You might not be able to feed thousands of people. You might not be able to heal blind men. But you can still show compassion. You can weep with those who weep. You may not be able to take away everyone's suffering at the snap of a finger. But you can suffer with them. If nothing else, you can simply be present with someone in the midst of their pain. That way they don't have to go through pain all alone. That might be your form of compassion. And it might not sound like much. It might not sound like anything revolutionary to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. Make sure people know that they don't suffer alone. It might not sound like much, but to many in our world, that would be an absolutely radical, life-changing, heart-changing gift. So I pray this Christmas that we would share that gift with people around us, even when it's costly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the compassion of your son, Jesus. Thank you that when Jesus looks at people like us, we are not a nameless, faceless crowd. We are not mistakes. We are not nuisances. We are sheep without a shepherd. But Father, thank you for providing a shepherd for us. A shepherd who would lay down his own life for us. Thank you that Jesus is sympathetic to our weaknesses, that he knows what it's like to be tempted. But thank you that he was without sin. Thank you that in so many ways, Jesus is so much like us. And yet in so many other ways, he's so much unlike us. Holy, pure, sinless. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray that as we leave here, we would show compassion to the world around us because you know this world needs it. I pray that we would weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. That when we look out at people, that we wouldn't just see nameless, faceless crowds, but that we would see people created in your image. And that we would do everything within our power to meet the needs of those around us. Not for our own glory. Not just to be good people. Not to prove ourselves to you or to anybody else. But simply for your glory and for your honor. And out of gratitude for what you've already done for us. We love you. We praise you. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. You might not even know it when you came here this morning, but you have a great need for a savior. You have a great need for a Lord to obey. So if you have not yet accepted Christ as your savior and as your Lord, I pray that you would talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They'd be happy to answer your questions, happy to tell you about Christ, why it is that we worship him, why it is that we follow him. Take advantage of that time as we sing this last song. But before we do that, we do have one thing to pray about, and I'd like to call Joshua and Bree up here. 
As many of you know, uh, last year the Walkers started a new tradition of going to Florida uh, for the winter. So, snowbirds. But So with that, they mostly go uh, for Aaron's health. Um, the winter can be extremely difficult on Aaron. And so they head south for a month or so, uh, about this time of year, starting last year. And they'll be leaving, uh, coming here in a couple days. And so they'll be gone for a while. Uh, we will certainly miss them. Uh, but Joshua will be pulling all the levers and pushing all the buttons from a distance. Uh, he's the brains of this operation, if you didn't know that. So uh, he will still be working. He will still be serving. He'll still be serving his family. He'll still be in touch with what's going on around here. So don't hesitate to... Uh, email him or get in touch with him if you need anything. Um, I'm sure they'd be more than willing to help you however they can from a distance and shepherd you however he can from a distance. But with that, we wanted to pray for them, uh, pray for their travel, pray for their time away. So if you would, please pray with me. Father, thank you for the walkers. Uh, thank you for the ways that they serve, the ways that they love, the ways that they contribute to this church. Um, So many of those contributions are unseen. So many of those contributions are without glamour and without glory. Um, And so, Father, we pray that you would just watch over them uh, over the next four or five weeks. Uh, I pray that this would be a great time for their whole family, a time of rest and refreshment. Um, I pray that this would be wonderfully beneficial for Aaron specifically uh, with her health. And I pray you get them down there safely, get them home safely, and that things here without the walkers for a while would go smoothly. I pray they would know how much we miss them, how much we love them. And again, we are so grateful for them and ask that you be with them in the weeks ahead. We love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. With that, uh, again, we want to remind you that our Christmas Eve service will be this Saturday at 5 p.m. We hope you can join us for that. Again, thanks for being here this morning. And with that, we'll sing our final song.